I'm Asan. It's Friday, and this is the Friday show. The calm has gone, and now it's time for a storm of football. City play Fulham this weekend, and then the Champions League proper starts next week. Joining me to look forward, look backwards, look upwards, look downwards, I've got, firstly, Mr. Howard Hawking. Hello, Howard. How are you? Yeah, fine. Thank you. Excellent. And Mr. Colin Savage. Welcome, Colin. Hello. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, look, without further ado, I want to get straight into the meat of this podcast. Um, Opening question. It's for you, Colin. The accounts are in. Please talk us through City's financial results. Are they for 16-17? Is that correct? Or 17-18? 17-18. Yeah, for 17-18. Talk us through the financials. Well, um, they're pretty good, all in all. But there's one or two things that are a little bit worrying, perhaps. But I'll go through the numbers. Basically, I think the headline number is our revenue is just above 500 million. So we're only the second English club to break through that barrier. And that's only going to go up. So so that's fantastic news. Um, uh, we, we showed a profit of uh, 10 million, around 10 million. And again, that's obviously good news. Uh, that was helped by uh, a 30 million, uh, 40 million profit, sorry, on the sale of players. Okay. Well, thirty-nine million, just under forty million. So, so basically, it's a it's a loss of um, thirty million from normal operations, buoyed up by um, a forty million profit on the on transfers. And we're talking about people like um, Kalechi Inacho, Aaron Moy, because um, because both of those cost us virtually nothing, and yeah. we sold them for you know decent money. Mm. Isn't that so, isn't isn't that part of why? Uh, the academy is so important though because you kind of you characterize it as a loss which then becomes a profit because of the players that we've sold but really that's part of the business of the modern manchester city football club yep. that we the do ac- have these assets yeah the academy is a profit center exactly. this is what i sell to people you've got to stop looking at it as developing the next first 11 Hopefully, we will get players who come through. But obviously, the, the quality in the first team now is is so high, that and the bar so high to break through into that. That's less and less likely to happen than it was in the days of Stevie Ireland's, Micah Richards, Sean Wright Phillips, um, all, all those sorts of players. We, we've got to now see the academy as an investment on which we are getting a return. Okay, and we're getting we're getting that return through selling players. And, and but that that was no different because the you know the academy in back in. The mid two thousands in the days of Stuart Pearce and John Wardle. Again, that that was a way of of uh, of kind of keeping our cash flow going, yeah, without uh, impacting the first team. Mm-hmm. But we just do it on a much bigger scale these days. Now, it, obviously, um, outside of the Manchester City bubble, the the biggest criticism aimed at City whenever they release accounts is well. You know, it's all propped up by Abu Dhabi weird sponsorship deals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Looking at it from a cold kind of accounting point of view, how much of City's annual revenue comes from sources directly linked to Abu Dhabi? And in terms of the scale of those deals, how many of those deals feel inflated today? Well, the truth is we don't know for sure because they don't publish figures on the uh, makeup of all these commercial deals. Mm. My, my guess is we're looking at Etihad now around 55 million a year. Mm-hmm. 
And there's another three Abu Dhabi-based sponsors out of our nine. We've got nine global partners and we've got 11 regional partners. Mm-hmm. Out of those nine global partners, we've got Etihad, who are the main ones. Mm-hmm. And we've got Arbar, the uh, Abu Dhabi Tourist Authority, and uh, Etisalat, the um, mobile telecoms company. Okay. Now, now, now let's separate Etihad from the other three. Yeah. Etihad, obviously, the big numbers. So, so I reckon we're getting possibly getting something like fifty-five million a year is the rumor, for, up from the original forty million. Now, now let's split that down into let's say it's forty million for the name on the shirt, ten million for the stadium, and five million for the campus. Clearly, the shirt one is not out of line for a club in our position now. Eight was it eight nine consecutive seasons of the Champions League, three. Uh, three Premier League titles. We're a high-profile club. Whatever some of these idiot fans may say about not being a big club, we're a high-profile club these days. We're, our name's seen all over the world. So £40 million for the shirt, I think Chelsea get roughly the same, um, it, it is exactly in line with, mar- with the market. £10 million for the... St- if we're, if we're, and these are theoretical figures, of course. £10 million for the stadium. There was a, a group of... Um, a company called Duff and Phelps who are... What, no, what you call them, international valuation experts. And they've just done a survey uh, based on their knowledge, which which says we could potentially sell the name of the stadium for nearer 20 million a year. Mm-hmm. So if we're getting 10 million for it, again, n- not really inflated. 5 million for the campus, there's no real connection, there's no real um, comparison with any other deals, but it's not a huge amount. And the point I always make to people about the Etihad deal is that if Etihad said, right, we're not, you know, we're skinned and we're not sponsoring you anymore, we'd get someone at the same value. Yeah, I think that's the, uh, at the root. So, so, so that's why I separate the two. If, if, if it wasn't Etihad, it'd be Nissan or it'd be Citibank or someone like that, who we've got already got existing deals with. Yeah, I think that was the root of, that's the root of my question is those deals that, because from Abu Dhabi's point of view, I can understand why they would pay to sponsor City, to pay to sponsor any, you know, Premier League football club because of its visibility. But in terms of what they're paying Manchester City now, Manchester City could go out and get similar level deals yeah, off somebody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, we don't, we don't know what the other three are paying us. Yeah. But I can't imagine that's much more than five million a year each. Hmm. So, so we're talking if we add the fifty-five million to three times five million, we're talking about seventy million out of a total commercial income of over two hundred and thirty million. So it's um, less than a third. It's thirty percent of our commercial income. Commercial income is sixty um, percent of our total income. So we're talking of um, I don't know what seventeen, eighteen percent of our overall revenue if those figures are correct and also i About think six percent then of total it, if you i think i think the, for me the thing is that you you probably should take out the etihad deal as well because the yeah. as we've as we've already said the etihad deal because of its size and its scope and the amount of visibility that it has there it's easily transferable to another international well multinational okay. corporation like etihad who would come in and get the same visibility and probably pay the same money if not more money. Yeah. Um, so, 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 so just to kind of round this off, I, I think we would only, if all the Abu Dhabi companies suddenly walked away, it would only cost us net about 20 million a year. Right. Yeah. There you go. Which is one Kalechi Ian Atro. 
effectively. It's one colour cheat, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, Howard, do yeah. you do you care? Do you get excited when the uh, when the financial results come out? I mean, I know I, I I do like to see the joy in Khaldun's face, and I, every year he likes to say, you know, if we'd have said ten years ago when we bought this club that we'd be here now, I think people would have laughed at us. I, I do kind of take a bit of pride in that. Um, what about you? Like, do you, do, do you get a bit excited when they're released, or are you a bit like, nah, who cares? I also do. Could not get excited watching the <laughs> urine boiling of rival fans on Twitter for two days. I mean, well, that's the family answer. The family show answer. Of course, what's not to enjoy about a release of City in profit figures? I mean, it's just absolute. It's oh, that illegal drug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I think I, I like Howard. I think I get as much, at least as much. Jo- I like the figures, obviously. You know, it's one of my my stock in trade in terms of kind of a an amateur pundit. But I think I get as much, if not more, joy from watching the urine boiling on social media and, and in the press. Yes. Um, but than I do from actually looking at the figures. Yes. But, Shout but on the other hand, I think the key thing is. And I've known this for three years anyway, so there was there was no surprises. I barely looked at the... You know, when the news came out, I went, yep, yeah, what I expected, moved on down the Twitter timeline. There's no surprises there, really. The key thing is, and Colin's pretty much covered this anyway, was, was self-sustaining now. And that's the well, key. That's the key. Well, we are. I mean, the, I'm going you know, to say there are a few, no, there are a few no, surprises. For 10 years, you've been going actually. on about, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. get bored, the other one out. If... They sold up tomorrow, we'd be fine. We're not going to collapse and have to sell all our players. And that's the key thing, is how the, the club's been built up uh, now until it's, you know, basically it's one of the biggest revenue, one of the biggest clubs in the world. It can look after itself. Yeah. And, of course, we still want to, we want youth players to come through, but we still want that that gift from the Sheikh. We want that. Uh, we want to buy Mbappe. And, of course, the more money you make, the more Mbappes you buy. And that's the bottom line, really. Yeah, absolutely. And shout out to Nick Harris and Sporting Intel because yeah. I know that he's unblocked me on Twitter, which I don't know why he's unblocked me after having me blocked for so long, but I think by the end of the weekend I'll be blocked again. Yeah. Um, I um, I don't mention that name. <laughs> Otherwise, I was expecting um, letters from solicitors through my postbox. Really? <laughs> I, I better say no more than that. Okay, well, we, we, we'll we we'll talk about that off-air, Colin. Yeah, you can I, tell us why yeah. you upset Sporting Intel. I definitely <laughs> upset him a few times. Tell him uh, on air. Come on. Uh, just, just to finish finish this off, actually, but just to finish the financial bit off, uh, as Howard said, there are no surprises in there. There are, are actually a few surprises, believe it or not. And the first one is, um, I'd, say, I'd say a worrying thing, but on the downside is we issued £58 million worth of shares uh, in this financial year, mm-hmm. which is basically a cash injection from Abu Dhabi because they put in a for, for every pound they put in, they get a pound worth of shares. And it's a 10p shares, they get 10 10p shares for every pound they put in. So basically, they got 580 million shares, they put in 58 million quid. And that 58 million quid came in in January uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that's the time we bought um, Laporte. Yep. So that suggests we didn't have actually have the cash in hand to do that deal. No, but don't Which, you think that? Don't you think that because it was a release clause deal that it probably complicated matters slightly? In that, under normal circumstances, 
even if you're paying 50, 60 million pounds for a player, you're at least breaking it up into two payments, if not three, if not over the life of the contract. But when you're dealing with a Spanish club who say you have to pay the release clause, you've just got to pay the full amount. That that, that maybe have have something to do with it. It doesn't impact financial fair play or anything like that. No. So, so, so yeah, you're probably right in that. We needed the cash. We needed 100% of it up front. And, And 58 million, you know, it's... You know, down the back of the shake sofa, isn't it really? And, I- and we know we've, I know we've got that backing. I, I, kind of the other, the other interesting thing in terms of, because obviously we spent a lot of money the previous summer, summer two thousand and seventeen, and there was a lot of stuff there about um, how can we afford that. So, I, I, I actually argued at the time. I think I did it on the podcast that. In actual fact, the wages we were taking out from the players we'd let go uh, compared to the wages that that was coming in and the amortisation out and in was actually um, made no difference. So mm. there was no, there was really no net net spend in terms of wages and amortisation, which is your true player cost. And, and I added them up this time. And actually, they've only gone up. Wages and amortisation in 2018 have only increased by 8 million over 2017. Wow. Now, there's a the slight difference that 2017 was 13 months, but yeah. it won't be that much. So 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 I effectively my, my, saying, my supposition on, was right. I just want to I want to cl- I want to to make this simple for the listeners and also for myself. Yeah. So effectively what you're saying is that for all those players who came in um in in that summer in terms of the impact on the wage bill it w- it was only to the tune of one squad player because that's normally a squad player's wage about seven or eight million pounds a year. So that's effectively all we've added to the wage bill, even though we brought all those young top tier players in. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Excellent. That's our, our overall player cut. That's not just the wages, but that's the the amortisation, which is obviously the fees. Right. Um, split out of the length yeah. of the contract. So it's only cost us £8 million more this year for that summer. Uh, and these are the accounts in which this 2017 summer spending will be covered. It's only cost us £8 million more this year for all that business. That's amazing. Uh, hey, I've got one oh, final right. financial question. It's a little bit esoteric, I guess, but I'm curious as to what you would say to it. Um, I remember that Arsenal, uh, a few years back, they trumpeted the fact that they had enormous cash reserves. They, I think it was like they had like £180 million in the bank, basically. Um, now, from my point of view, if you're a Premier League football club and a Premier League football club's owner and you're sat on cash reserves of that level and you're not winning anything, you're kind of taking the piss. So my question is, is there a benefit... To you know, because like you, you, you bring up the fact that they had to effectively issue the shares to bring in sixty million euros to pay Laporte's release clause because there wasn't cash reserves sat around. Is there any benefit to having cash reserves sat around? Um, well, no, because football is a business in which you should be continually investing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, and we only had. 20 just under 28 million cash in the bank at the year end now it can be in a bit of an illusory figure because that the year end may june is when you get the bulk of the cash in so yeah. so you get it you get the bulk of the cash from uefa you get the bulk of the cash from the premier league which is a huge chunk of, of cash so you will you should always have 
a large chunk of cash sat in your accounts as at May, June. And in fact, the, the fact we've only got 28 million actually is um, a little bit worrying, but we only had 18 million last year. So I'm not going to get too, too bothered about that. And they actually haven't published a cash flow statement. So it's difficult to see for the moment where the money's gone. Right. But yeah. Fo- football is an investment business. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, just just one other th- interesting thing in the accounts, then, then we can kind of um, draw a line under this. W- one interesting thing is that staff numbers have increased quite considerably, so by about 130 people mm-hmm. uh, in terms of both playing and administrative staff. And uh, th- there's no reason given for why this has happened, but I suspect they've started bringing staff which they originally farmed out to these two other companies, City Football Services and uh, City Football Marketing, to, to serve, which were there to service the whole group. I suspect they've decided that experiment is coming to an end and are bringing staff back in. Right. So, so, so what happened with that is we took the wages off the accounts, but we actually paid those companies through expense. We paid those companies for their services. So, so what we were paying in wages got transferred to another category of expense. Got yeah. So, so in it, fact, because what you're talking very about very little there, net effect. Yeah, but the, what you're talking about there is the fact that staff wages are included in player wages yeah. when you talk about the wage to turnover ratio, and even yeah. for financial fair play, unless I'm mistaken, when they talk about increases in the wage bill, your staff is included as well as the playing staff. That's correct, isn't it? Well, financial fair play doesn't actually make any specific um, restrictions on, on wage bills, uh, but the, the Premier League short-term cost control rules Exactly, do. yes. Yeah. That's what so, I thought. So, but when you're talking, even, you know, if you're talking about 130 office staff, you're probably, again, talking about two Ds, a Delph and a, a Danilo yeah. equivalent. So, yeah. yeah. So it's not going to make a huge impact, I wouldn't have thought. Excellent. All right. After the uh, after the cheerful financials, uh, let's <laughs> let's talk about the uh, the dreary internationals, shall we? Um, Howard, I, I don't want to get into the to to the England games because you know they were pretty pitiful, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but I have a question. I'll start with you, and then I'll throw it over to Colin as well. Is John Stones now England's number one centre back? That's my first question, and my second question is. Has John Stones improved dramatically or uh, or is what we're seeing a change of perception as opposed to a, ch- a specific change in performance? I hope that makes sense. Uh, has he improved? Well, I think the only problem with John Stones was always consistency. I mean, people are still talking about it now that he's got a mistake in him. Is he, I think... For Southgate, I think he thinks he is the future mm. uh, and he is the number one centre-back. I don't understand the teams he picks between a league nation, uh, Nations League match and a friendly against Switzerland because obviously he started the first into sub for the second. Uh, I don't know what he's looking at there, but I think his, in the future, absolutely his position is nailed down and he showed it. Even though there was a moment of indecision when he came on as a substitute against Switzerland, He's still putting some vital blocks and he still provides that link with the midfielder because, you know, his, his use of the ball. Uh, I think, I, for me, I think he's improved because obviously he's had rocky stages at City, but I think he's just becoming more mature and even more elegant on the ball. Uh, the only problem is, of course, those moments of concentration or 
or mis- the mistakes he may make. But even Pep says he'll make a mistake, but it's well worth it. And, you know, if he costs us a goal every now and then, so be it, because he gives so much more. Uh, and I think Southgate is trying, you know, he's trying to play Pep light in a way. So obviously, you know, you've got goalkeepers playing it out from the back. And he wants that passing style out of defence like City do. So John Stones is absolutely essential. And there was a journalist who wrote an article on this. I don't know who it was the other day who says he might be the most important player now, which is, you know, stretching it a bit. But because, not because of, not specifically because he's the greatest player in the world, but because of how Southgate wants to play in the future. Yeah. I think I I would almost go along with that, Justin. That I don't. I think if you've not got stones there, you can't play the way Southgate wants to play. It's yeah. really that simple. Because there actually isn't a single player in midfield who can do what Stones can do. They all, you know, they they all get a, a nosebleed if they have to they have to stay on the ball for too long. Whereas Stones loves being on the ball, and I, I think it's yeah. No, I think he's he's absolutely crucial. Um, Colin. In terms of the mistakes that Stones makes, I know that you know there there is that sense that, like Howard said, he's got a mistake in him, right? Which is one of those footballing cliches. Um, do you think that because he's one of our own, we watch him more closely and we're more critical of those mistakes? In that, uh, would it be fair to say Gerard Piquet has got a mistake in him? Jerome Boateng mm. has got a mistake in him, and these are guys who who have been over the last five years considered to be. To Leonardo Benucci has got a mistake in him. And these guys are considered to be the cream of the ball-playing centre-backs in Europe. Oh, well, of course, every player's got a mistake in him. I mean, it, it, I know it's a, you said it's a cliche, but, it, but it's a true cliche, yeah. if, if, you, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and, and, yeah, obviously, when you watch a player for 90 minutes every game, you, you, you see everything that they do. Whereas if you watch them on match of the day... You know, they might highlight the great John Stones coming out of defence and laying off a brilliant ball to Aguero or someone in the midfield. Um, you, you know, you, you see that and you think, John Stones, what a great player. You know, every player across our back four, across every back four, has got a mistake in them. Um, you know, Walker is, I think, is more error-prone than Stones. Um, Mendy, it, to me, looks a, far more suspect defensively than he does going forward. Um Laporte, actually, we're not spoken about. He really does seem a solid player, but there'll be a mistake in him somewhere. We all know about Otamendi. Company, um, company's distribution can be terrible. He sometimes gets caught out of position. There's not a player anywhere that doesn't have a mistake in him. And, yeah. and obviously, the further back you go in the team, the, the further you go towards your own goal, the more crucial that mistake could be. Yeah. The other, yeah. Um, the other player that um, I wanted to talk about because he was moved from the right side of the back three, that's Kyle Walker. Um, Howard, the kind of the Walker for for Joe Gomez swap, where where do you stand on it? Because I've seen two different sides to the argument. I've seen the argument, which is that, well, it makes perfect sense because Walker's a much better wing-back and Gomez is a much better centre-back. And equally, I've seen people say, well, Gomez makes all the same mistakes that, Walker makes he's not as fast as Walker and he's not as experienced as Walker and he's not really somebody that it's a pretty inexperienced back three as it is with Stones and Maguire and throwing Gomez in there isn't really the smartest of moves so where where do you sit on that 
Yeah, well, he's a Liverpool player, so he's obviously the greatest <laughs> centre-back in the world. Uh, I think Walker's in a bit of an awkward position here because, well, he is a right-back. Obviously, he's shown he can play as a centre-back. Uh, but the problem we've got here is that, you know, he wants, Southgate wants to put Trippier in there, so he's caught in the middle here. So Stones, we we think we agree, you know, has got his, his position secured, and so has Maguire probably. Uh, so it only le- if you know, assuming he play- keeps playing with a back three, that leaves one space. And I, I, personally, I do prefer it's worked okay with Walker, but I do prefer that centre backs play in the centre back. And he's really, you know, we're talking about one of the best right backs, but in the world, perhaps some people say, it, and yet Southgate wants to play Trippier there, who can't convert into the middle. So he's kind of caught in no man's land. I'd just prefer him to be playing at right-back, to be honest. Uh, yeah, Gomez is a very promising player, but no, he's not. I think even Walker at centre-back outperforms Gomez. That's my honest opinion. In two mm. years, it might be a very different matter. Uh, but he may go with Gomez because that's his natural position. And funny enough, it's one part of the England setup up where actually sport for choice, which you can't say about any other... You know, midfield or forwards, we're not really spoiled for choice in those areas. Yeah. But we are at the back. Yeah. I, I kind of, you know, I, I, my take on it is that I think that the the reason that that rubbish midfield got picked again and there was no changes um, was because apparently he wanted to reward the players who, who had done so well at the World Cup, which is fair enough. But then I'm a little bit like, well, I don't... The problem part of the pitch was the midfield the problem part of the pitch was not really the back three and you've taken out an experienced player thrown a a younger player in there because he's had three good games yeah because again that's the thing with Gomez he's played four games four league games do you know what I mean and in the last two years he's played next to no football so it just seems a little bit contradictory to on the one hand for Southgate to be I'm rewarding the players who did well at the World Cup and on the other hand, to take out one of the players who performed really well and to throw uh, an untested kid, because that's really what Joe Gomez is in football and, uh, terms right now, to throw an untested that's of, kid in there. Yeah, and that's one of Southgate's moans, isn't it? That a lot of his players, he doesn't think are getting enough game time at the clubs. Okay, but I, I again, like that's that's a fair enough thing to say if you don't then turn around and pick exactly the same midfield that you've picked. I, I, I'm I'm a little bit, I have a, I have a serious problem with that midfield. And I, I, I said it in the International League Matters show, I was baffled as to why he didn't take this opportunity to try and bring a couple of ball players in to improve that. That's the weakness in this England team, is that centre mid. And in many respects, for this system that he wants to, to persist with for it to work. The problem he has to solve is in centre mid. It's not in the back three. So it just seemed a change for the sake of change, a rewarding of a Liverpool player, probably because he plays for Liverpool. Um, and, and maybe it's my, you know, James Madison bias coming back again, but I'm just like, James Madison has been excellent for Leicester and he, you know, didn't, I, I don't get it. I really don't, I don't get the, uh, I don't get the Gomez the Gomez selection and the and the Madison snob in a way, when in actual fact, in terms of the positions of the two players, it's in midfield that you need to freshen things up, not the back. Anyway, that's my that's my little rant over. Um, 
Howard, how are we feeling about the fact that a lot of our players actually ended up getting a rest over the international break? I'm thinking specifically about the the two Brazilians and about Raz. Um, do you think that it's good that the World Cup players are getting a little bit of rest in their legs? Or do you think that there's a danger that we kind of start this very crucial period of games with a lack of rhythm? No, I mean, there is a lack of rhythm, but that was going to happen because of the World Cup anyway. I, mm. no, I, I can't see anything for, but good about this. The season started too early. Uh, I'm sure, I don't think other countries started on the same weekend as we did. I don't know why we had to start that early. It's the shortest gap between the World Cup and start of the season since 66, 1966. So it was no time whatsoever and I do think the opening results didn't really tell us much because I think they masked the fact that the team is still to get going even Klopp said that Liverpool team is still to get going and they'd not be playing that well either but have won the games but still I think the players yeah we have to be very careful with these players there's a long long season ahead and any week any few days where they don't play is fine by me uh, because I don't think they don't get rhythm really by Playing forty-five minutes here and there for the you know flying across Europe or flying across the world, that's not a way to get rhythm. They'll get that rhythm domestically, uh, but I want I'd rather the muscles got a rest rather than anything else. Mm. Okay, Colin, what about for you? Same thing. Uh, yeah, I mean you've got a double whammy really, haven't you? You've got the World Cup, which is always going to take um, energy and, and uh, kind of rhythm out of players what, what, because they haven't got enough time to recover. But it's always slow at the start of the season anyway. If you think back to last season, it took us a little while to get going. Um, so, so, so it doesn't... Yeah, I think it's a good thing that they've had this little break because you've started to get into the rhythm and you, you give your muscles and your, your body a little bit of a rest early in the season and then you can come back. And, the, and as Pep says, the season really starts tomorrow. Yeah. Um Little little thing that I liked, I saw some, uh, maybe I'm mistaken, but I saw some very positive words from Thomas Muller about uh, Leroy Sane, who was back in the mm-hmm. Germany setup. Um, Howard, happy to see some positive Leroy press? Yeah, it's about, t- about time, to be honest. I mean, I much prefer the, the other German players just kept their mouth shut for at least one week. But uh, yeah, nice to see that someone's actually had the decency to come out and say nice things about him that maybe mm. you know consider that maybe say doing that might actually help him more than criticizing him mm. off the back of a terrible world cup for everyone else as well so yeah always good to see i don't know how much notice he takes of all of this but he's a big player i'm sure he looks up to them and uh, so anything positive is a good thing for me yeah um now he had a baby or his his partner had a baby um while he was away on international duty and I didn't even know that she was due to have a baby. Colin, I remember when when De Bruyne's missus was pregnant with her first child that De Bruyne's form seemed to suffer for for some time during the pregnancy. Um it, it, do you think players can become distracted by particularly having their first child? Uh, well, I know from my own experience, it's a very worrying time. Mm. Uh, and until everything's kind of resolved successfully, then it, you, you're nervous every day. So, it, you know, it's always on your mind. If you heard David Silver talking on the um, the Premier League show last night on uh, BBC Two, you know, he was talking about 
it, it, you know, it, it was slightly different, of course, his son was born prematurely and wasn't well, but he said it consumed him every minute of the day, apart from when he was on the pitch. Um, so, so, so I think, yes, there's definitely a little bit of that, and I'd be interested to see how Leroy reacts to the birth of the child. I, th- I think there's all sorts of stories about this relationship anyway. But but one thing I noticed um, watching the All or Nothing um, documentary, um, th- there was a scene where Pep was giving the uh, the players a talk in the in the lecture room, whatever they call it, and um, Leroy was kind of sat there slumped in his chair with his feet over the um, the arm, and it looked a kind of a bit of a so what disinterested type pose so so i wonder if there's more of an attitude problem there that than we are than we you know, than we are seeing perhaps related to the birth of birth of the child i don't know so so it, i think now we're going to talk about the game shortly but it'd be very interesting to see how we react from now on in yeah i mean i think that howard do you think that sometimes as supporters as you know observers of football and footballers we forget the fact that they a are human and b have lives outside of the football club because i think that we kind of we live with this expectation and i'm guilty of this as well sometimes that you kind of live with this expectation that look you get paid seven eight nine million quid a year i don't give a shit about you know whether you're tired or whether you're you're having a bad day you you need to deliver that's what you get paid for is that really unfair because realistically i also know from my own life that when i'm having a bad day or have a problem with my missus it just everything is affected by it and it's not that i do it on purpose and it's not that i care any less it's just that that's life yeah, yeah, it's totally unfair. Uh, just been reading crap like that for years, to be honest. The human beings, said it many a time, the human beings, the lot, the lot's like human beings. Uh, it's important, you know, we all know, it's, sometimes it's impossible to just to zone out and concentrate on, you know, we've all been at work, and uh, obviously we don't have the same t- line of work as footballers, but sometimes it's impossible to think about, you know, to concentrate on your work. Of course, there's a lot. We don't know what's going on in footballers' lives. Uh, it doesn't matter what they pay. It's utterly irrelevant. You don't just get paid more and be able to turn off. And we've been fighting this battle over depression for 10 years. It's only beginning to dawn on people now that rich people can get depressed. And it's like, you know, you just some people's attitudes are in the dark ages. The, the human beings are sometimes are affected by what happens outside and the wage is irrelevant to that. Uh, as simple as that, to be honest. Okay. There's a great book, if you've ever read it, by Eamon Dunphy, which is about his last season at Millwall. Um, off the top of my head, I think it's called Only a Game. And it's the most honest, best book I've read about the day-to-day life of a footballer. And they talk about one of the uh, key guys at Millwall didn't turn up for training. And it was in the days before mobile phones and social media and whatever. And they were really annoyed with this guy and that the, the, the team got together and demanded the manager fine him and, and take some sort of sanction and take the captain, I think it was the captain, take the captain's armband off him. Then the guy came in and they found out his kid had been rushed to hospital with meningitis. Hmm. So it's kind of that, and Dunphy makes the point, it makes exactly the point that we've just made, that you do not know what goes on in people's lives and they are human beings and yeah. it affects them. Absolutely. And, and this I, guy, yeah. I think also, you know, um, dressing rooms are incredibly testosterone filled masculine environments where you know if you've got a problem it's i don't know how many footballers can go into 
their dressing room and say to their teammates, I'm depressed or, you know, I'm having a bad day because of this or because of that, or this is affecting me. I just, yeah, I, I, I do think they live with a pressure that sometimes from the outside, we can be a bit hard on them. And I think this in particular with young players, I mean, I try and project myself back to when I was Leroy Sane's age and I immediately go, Oof, yeah, I mean, you're, you're still you're still a kid in many respects, even if you're a grown-up and even if you're getting a grown-up salary and you've got a grown-up job and all of those things, 21, 22, you're still a kid in many respects. So, yeah, I think we do have to cut them a little bit more slack. Okay. Spurs-Liverpool tomorrow, early kickoff before uh, before City play. That's the game I want to I wanna chat about on today's Friday show. Um, we've talked a lot about Liverpool, so let's, let's try and talk about Spurs a little bit. Um, Howard... Firstly, just your general thoughts on their start to the season in comparison or, or in contrast or along with the fact that they didn't buy any players this summer and that they were quite heavily criticised for that. Yeah, they were. Uh, nothing's changed. <laughs> uh, they're doing what I expected them to do. Uh and that doesn't change, you know, as you would expect when they've not really changed the players. And, you know, the only difference is Moore is now beginning to get game time. And he, you know, we saw what he did at Old Trafford. But there's so little change there that nothing, there's no real surprises about how they're playing. They're ticking along nicely. Don't think they're good enough to win a title. They've not got the depth or the consistency. But they're a dangerous side uh, who have lost, you know, at home, I think, Drop points only three of the last 20 or so games. Obviously, we're one of them. Uh, and, of course, they beat Liverpool 4-1 last season, which was an unexpected result. Yeah, there's just there's very little more to say. They're just doing what I expect them to do. They're, they've got a very balanced, steady side that's very good throughout, but just doesn't quite hit the heights. Mm. Uh, you know, we've discussed in the past... If they had money to spend, where would they strengthen? And it's not obvious where they'd strengthen because they don't have really weak points. But then how many truly world-class players do they have? Probably not that many either. Kane, when he's on his game. Uh, So they are, yeah, they've got nine points from four games against Watford. I was very surprised by the lack of fight once Watford equalised. So they show the... They show the side, yeah. They've always shown that they put in a result against United at Old Trafford, and then they go and lose to Watford, who themselves are impressing this season. And it'd be interesting to see them against United. But yeah, it's just the same old. So they get your hopes up as a Spurs fan, no doubt, and then they let you down and don't see much changing. They'll be on the edge of the top four, and that's pretty much how I expected it to go from the beginning. Is that is that why competition for places in in squads within the top six is so important? Because so would do you think that it's possible? And I, I want Colin to answer this as well. Do you think it's possible that when you say, for example, when Watford equalised, Spurs didn't really seem to show much? Do you think that's because there's a not not sort of conscious complacency, but just you know. You can have one of those days and you can almost shrug your shoulders because Harry Kane knows that nobody's taking his spot. Ericsson knows that nobody's taking his spot. Deli Ali knows that nobody's taking his spot. I mean, you go right through that squad and the first 11, I don't think there's 
with the exception of the centre-back situation where you could say there's an argument that Davidson Sanchez versus Toby Alderweireld is a real competition. But other than that, I don't think there's competition anywhere. Do you think that that's the knock-on effect, that they can have a really strong 11, but if there's no competition, you have that those those types of results? Um, yeah. Um, just one second. The phone was just ringing. Sorry, Colin. Yes, yes. What, what you said was absolutely right. But I, th- I think Pochettino does manage to get the most out of his squad. But obviously the problem comes when you've not got uh, a squad with, with a lot of depth. The problem comes when you get into the, the, the business end of the season and you, you start getting injuries, you need to rest players. Um, th- and that's when... The problems will hit. In many ways, actually, Spurs at the moment remind me of City in the in the seventies, who could be absolutely brilliant on their day, and we're always kind of up there, sort of challenging. But in most, that, that City team of the seventies should have won a lot more than they did, yeah. apart from one you know, one League Cup. So they were always up there, sort of challenging, but they never quite got over the line. And Spurs remind me of that team in a little way. Um, I wasn't too bothered about the fact they didn't buy anyone. It's not my problem anyway, uh, because obviously they have got quite a decent squad. So you're thinking, well, if it ain't broke, why, what, you know, why try to fix it? But but you're absolutely right in that you 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 need that you need the right balance of people challenging for positions, but not so people get disheartened. And and, and I don't think they've quite got that balance yet. So if they have an off day. Um, you know, players know that there's no one going to. Kane has a bad run. He knows that no one is going to come in and take his place. Like um, if Aguero has a bad run, Gabriel Jesus would come in. Yeah, um, Howard, do you think that the kind of do you think one do you think Harry Kane has played too much football, and do you think that he's he's becoming a little bit of a Gerard esque figure at um, at Spurs in that it's one of them where if he's fit, he plays. And you can't take him out of the side because of everything that he brings to the team and because of everything that he represents, even though there's moments where you know, really, you should be taken out of the side for a couple of weeks. Yeah, probably. I mean, you can't just keep... Obviously, he's young. Well, he's not had a break for just how long now? Yeah, I'm not aware of him having any injuries. Well, no, he did. Of course, he did at the end of last season, but that's probably not helped him because, Mm. you know, there was was talk that he came back too quickly. And then he's straight into World Cup and now he's straight into this. And why did he have to come on as a sub against Switzerland, to be honest? If you're not starting him, just leave him out. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. There's, You know, <laughs> he's just every team sheet, his name goes down. There's just no option. I mean, son, I love. Uh, so, you know, they don't have to play him. But I guess the temptation is that, he, you know, when there's so little room for error towards the top of the table that you have to play him. I mean, Pochettino says there's no problem with him. Uh, you know, fatigue-wise, but then he would say that obviously he knows better. He seems relaxed about it, but you know what else can he say? To be honest, of course it would help him if he just had two or three weeks off. Uh, but there's just there's no respite, is there? Uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's, in fact, he's going to have even more games now because it's two a week. So yeah, if he is fatigued, then don't be surprised if he picks up an injury within a month or so. Hmm. Well, I, I I do think that it's just looking at it from the outside. I, I do feel like he looks tired and he looks like he needs a long rest, and he certainly doesn't hasn't looked like peak Harry Kane for quite some time now, which uh, is a little bit yeah. of 
Well, it's a bit of a well, worry the, for them. The question for me about Spurs is that they've got top four because Arsenal and Chelsea fell away. Hmm. Uh, not to say they didn't deserve that, but watching Chelsea this season, and we don't want to get wide in this discussion, but they seem to have adapted to Sarri much quicker than I would have expected to. And if they push for a top four spot, you just wonder if Spurs will hang on to it, or you know, will it be United or someone? Mm, yeah, I think uh, I, that that would be my fear for Spurs, and, and and that's always been my not my fear for Spurs, but my criticism is that they've never quite invested to keep that top four spot, which is must be so crucial to them because it would pay off. Yeah, particularly yeah. when you know United and Liverpool and Chelsea and Arsenal have all had struggles in the last few seasons, and Spurs have just almost kind of stood still and, and gone on with this zero net spend, so beloved of Daniel Levy. Um, and they've never, they should have made that top four spot their own. Yeah. yeah. New stadium. I, and if they're not in it till March, it'll just well, be interest, even more money, Be interested. So. Yeah, be interesting to see how much impact that has on them, considering they've not actually been the most profligate club going forward. That that stadium supposed to be costing a lot more money than they estimated, so that'll be an interesting one to see over the next few seasons. Yeah, definitely. Will that, will, will that team get torn apart? Um, looking at it from a from a Liverpool point of view, because you know we have to talk about Liverpool. It's in everybody's contract <laughs> these days. Yeah. Um, now, granted, they've already won the league, but how important is tomorrow's game in terms of? When you look at the start that they've had at the very at the start of the season, you looked at the four fixtures that they had, and on paper you went, "Well, they won all those games last season, so there's no reason that they don't win them again." But then they have the international break, and then it's an early kickoff, and they go to Spurs at Wembley. And Spurs, I kind of feel like Liverpool Spurs is a bit like City Liverpool in that City are a top team, and yet they struggle to play against. Klopp's Liverpool and I think that Liverpool are a top team but they struggle to play against Pochettino's Spurs um, Howard from your point of view is tomorrow as important psychologically for Liverpool as any uh, more or less as any other game just in terms of the start that they've had if they don't win tomorrow so if they draw or they lose is it a, is it going to take all of the, the wind out of their sails no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we go on about, you know, us, our record against Liverpool, but it doesn't make any didn't make any difference to the league, obviously. And I don't think at this stage of the season I mean, it, you know, nothing's decided at this stage of the season. What you could look at it either way, they could play well and lose, or they could play terribly and win. Obviously they'll take the latter one over that, but that tells us no more than the first one because, you know, it's a results game, but Results don't tell you everything. The thing is, in a way, they've got a free hit because if they lose, they're still doing okay, and they've got Spurs away out, you know, out the way. Uh, if they win, like whatever the performance, then you know they've got momentum, uh, which is, you know, what we got from about the third, fourth game onwards last season, uh, and it, you can't underestimate that because Chelsea as well before the season before that won about nine or ten on the row, and no one caught them up after that, so. I don't think it's an you know it's there's not you don't make conclusions at this stage of the season, uh, but of course it could have a big bearing on you know on confidence really because they might start believing. I mean they probably believe anyway because it's Liverpool. <laughs> this is their year, but if they get five victories under the yeah you know, under the belt and including that of a very tough fixture, 
where they've struck, you know, where they were thrashed last season, and the belief is just going to increase even more. But I don't think you take much more f- from it than that. Okay, um, Colin, how do you see it playing out tomorrow? Well, I think uh, what we we said uh, Liverpool seemed to find Spurs difficult to play against because it's the first major test, first kind of top six tests they've had this season. And I think if you looked at last Liverpool last season, you looked at their back four and you think, this is not the back four of a title-challenging team. Um, they do look much more solid across the back this season. Uh, and their problem last season, which they I don't think they'll have tomorrow, was how do they break down the park bus defences? Hmm. So, you know, playing someone like Newcastle, uh, who, you know, uh, Toddersfield will have 10 men behind the ball. They struggled to break down, down those teams last season, which is why they, they've missed out by so many points. Um, I mean, it should be an entertaining game tomorrow. Both teams will play attacking football. But uh, it'd be interesting to see whether Liverpool's defence is more solid than it was last season yeah. and how they can repel the Spurs' attack. And I think that might be the key to, to the game tomorrow. Yeah. Howard, what about for you? Uh, yeah, pretty much what you said. Uh, Deli Alley's out with an injury. Uh, Luis has conveniently picked up a thigh injury after his court case. Uh, so, you know, they're not at full strength, but Sonny's back, I do believe. Uh, so I expect him to go into the team instead. And whilst Ali's been, I think, England's poorest player for the last year, he was showing... You know, I've not watched 90 minutes of every Spurs game this season, but it did seem to be showing some club form again. So it is a loss for them in a way. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be an entertaining game and it's very hard to call. It will come down to taking chances, as it often mm. is with these sort of games. Uh, but as you say, if, the, if, if Liverpool put one over Spurs, then yeah, perhaps it hints that this team's gone up another level. But as I said earlier, don't take any conclusions at this stage of the season. It'll be a tight game. I don't think there'll be more than one goal in it either way. Mm, I think they have to win. I mean, I think the reason I say they have, have to, to win... Who? Liverpool? Yeah. And the reason that I say that is because I think that um, the one thing that this Liverpool team, in my opinion, uh, don't really have is they don't have a lot of title-winning experience. They don't have a lot of trophy-winning experience. Um, I, I don't know how... They've got they a lot have. of trophy-losing experience. Yeah, they have got a lot of trophy-losing <laughs> experience. Um, I just I just feel like for them to feel that they've actually made that step forward, they've got to take a scalp like Spurs away. Um, and I think that it's... Because they've got PSG midweek as well... It almost feels like, and you can feel it, if you listen to the Liverpool podcast, you can feel that for all of the bravado that has been talked in the last five or six weeks, they're quietly shitting themselves coming into this weekend. Because I think that deep down inside, they know if they don't beat Spurs and they don't beat Paris, by next weekend, the conversation about, well, are we going to win the title will be very different from what it currently is. Um, and maybe that's just me projecting some of my own thoughts on it or what I think they will think, but I definitely get that that vibe from them. Well, um, obviously, I mean, for the next four or five weeks as a whole, they've got a 
hell of a lot of challenging fixtures. So, yeah, after that, exactly. we'll know a lot more. Exactly, exactly. Um, speaking of challenging fixtures, uh, City have got, firstly, this is the first three o'clock Saturday kickoff Ooh. of the season. Is that correct, tomorrow? Uh, yeah. At home. Yeah, Probably the so. last. <laughs> no, Cardiff next week. Uh, yeah. I mean, at home, yeah. I just don't see many at home. Yeah. It does seem like a rare thing nowadays. Mm. Um, look, before we talk about that game from City's point of view, um, just uh, quick thoughts from both of you on the job that Djokanovic has done um, at Fulham. Uh, how impressed you've been with them so far this season. I think we've had, we've actually talked about Fulham quite a lot across the podcasts so far. Um, Howard, I'll start with you. Thoughts on, on, on them and then specifically where the threat might come from? Yeah, well, obviously by getting promoted is uh, a great achievement. But as we know, along with Wolves, they've, they're not your average promoted side that were uh, because they've, you know, they've uh, really spent some money over the summer. And I've, all, I've always liked Fulham as a club. I think most people do. And it's it's kind of patronising because people used to say it about us, uh, you know, a nice ground on the Thames. But they always they always play good football. They don't, you know, they're never defensive. They always like pass. They always got a passing team, even if the team wasn't the best at that particular time. Uh, I think they're a real danger, to be honest. But they've had, they've, been 16 goals in their four games so far, so I think that tells you everything you need to know. Nothing much has changed. To be honest, I think they're a real threat going forward and they're very susceptible at the back, as they showed when they gave away a two-goal lead at Brighton. So the very, very last thing I expect tomorrow, uh, and so it's bound to happen now, is a boring game. <laughs> I, just, I can't see him putting two banks of four... You know, I can't see him putting nine men camped in their own penalty area. It's just not the Fulham style. Maybe yeah. surprise us and they'll do that. Or maybe we'll for a bit of the game, you know, until we get frustrated. But yeah, I mean, you've got obviously Sassignon, the big, you know, the big uh, golden prospect for the future who's been moved forward and dangerous. Uh, obviously, uh, Jean-Michel, or is it Michael Serry, is a real live wire in midfield. And Mitrovic... Don't know if this is true. I mean, it reminds me a bit of Shearer in a way. It's just, you know, a physical presence. He can score ahead here. He can score from distance. He's going to be a real danger. Uh, and Shearer, I've always liked Shearer. Maybe he wasn't quite Chelsea class, but, you know, they've got some really good players there. Uh, but then you go back in the team, and I'm not sure they've got that class at the back. And... As always, we'll dominate possession, no doubt. So it's really a test for their defence of how well they can do against our attack because I do think they will get the odd chance or two. Mm. Um, Colin, is Mitrovic maybe the type of forward that our defenders don't like? Uh, yeah, quite possibly. Um, you know, you, you always worry about them against these, uh, you know, old fashioned, I can't yeah. call Mitrovic, uh, you know, an old-fashioned English-type centre-forward. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with Howard's analysis that they will play quite open football, which will suit us in one way, but they do have the ability to hurt us in a way that Newcastle didn't but shouldn't have done. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, Mitrovic, um, Sessegnon's quick, uh, Seri is a danger, and I think we'll be tested, our, our kind of defence will be tested tomorrow because 
They've got quick players like 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 Sassanyon. They've got Mitrovic who will you know make whoever turns out of centre half maybe off to Mendy. I don't know. We'll know they've been in a game. But I mean, Mitrovic can be a little bit hit and miss, but he just seems to be finding his feet in the Fulham side. And I think the one thing that does worry me about tomorrow, and we talked about the international break, is they've had a bit of a shaky start to their Premiership life, Premier League life. But I think they will do quite well. I think they should they should be comfortably mid-table. Um, and you just wonder whether that kind of shaky finding the feet type start is now over and they start to play a bit of football. Because they came up from the Championship, which is a notoriously difficult league to come up from, playing some really nice football. Yeah. You know, they're, they're almost like a pure football team, which you don't often see in the Championship. It's more, it's more often the Cardiffs of this world who, who tend to get promotion and then get found out when they get up. So I think, um, yeah, there will be a danger to us tomorrow, as Howard says. And um, they have some quick players and, and some uh, players who can hurt us. Mm, I can see I can see Vinny starting. Uh, I can see it being Vinny and Laporte mm. uh, specifically yeah. to deal with uh, to deal with Mitrovic. Because I think Vinny's the one centre-half that we've got who'll have that fight. Um, and he'll kind of relish it as well. So I can, can definitely see that... Um, definitely see that happening just looking at it from city's perspective I, I, I think we're about to find out a lot about where everybody is in terms of fitness and minutes and also um just how pep is going to rotate this season because we have obviously now the we have the champions league starting in midweek as well um the big question that i have Selection question is this, Howard, I'll start with you. Fernandinho, in my opinion, cannot play tomorrow, midweek, and again next weekend away at Cardiff. How are you going to manage his minutes, Howard? So I have to... So we have to agree that's the case, yeah. I think I think you're probably right, to be fair. And I don't think he's an old man yet who can't do it all. But no, but I mean, such a yeah, it takes out of you that position, and I don't. I think I've been thinking about this, and I'm I'm undecided. I'm trying to second guess Pep is just <laughs> yeah, it's just impossible. <laughs> I, my first thought was he will play against Leon, so his name is in for Leon. Yes, but then I thought, but you know, Gundogan, who obviously has given some of you know gets the criticism some of his best performances are in Europe he may trust him but I'll stick with my initial thought that he's in against Leon I think his physicality may be preferred against Cardiff so if I had to miss one I think maybe tomorrow would be against Fulham would be my choice but I think it's obviously one of the two league games and he plays in the Champions League okay fair enough yeah I I, I in my notes um I'd prefer Gundogan against a team like Leon in the Champions League because I think Gundogan's got the more seems to react better to the Champions League. Uh, but a question, let me ask a question: Which do you see as the more important game? Is it tomorrow's game against Fulham or Leon on Wednesday? Fulham by a long, by a long, long way because I just think that having already dropped two points, um, the kind of start that Liverpool have had, the kind of start that we've had, I think that. This is the moment that in the Premier League we need to show. To I think we need to send out a message. Uh, I thought that Huddersfield was that message, but then we go and in the next league game we drop points. I think we need to 
begin to put together a run of, of wins um, and a run of performances in the Premier League, um, starting with Fulham tomorrow. I think the reason that I... Th- it's not that Leon is less important, but I think if I look at what... Not that we've got fringe players, um, but if we, if I look at our rotation, I kind of look at it and I go, you know what? If we had a team on Wednesday that was Jesus... Um, Sane, Bernardo Silva, um, Gundogan. Uh, I'm running. Who else can I? Play? Who else is David Silva's fit so he can play? Um, I, I just think we can. I think we can rotate, and we can take, for example, Fernandinho out and give him a rest. Leroy can get the minutes that he requires. Jesus can get a run at number nine. Um, I think that team can beat Leon. And I don't think it's particularly weakening it. And also, looking a little bit further ahead to Cardiff, I think Cardiff is going to be gnarly. And I yeah. think that for a, <laughs> na- yeah, for a gnarly game... What, what I- gives you that idea? <laughs> <laughs> that goes yeah. against a manager's entire... All his principles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Warnock, yes. Um, I just... I feel as though... Uh, basically, I, I kind of look at the, the the Fulham game and the Leon game, and I go, "Look, I think Fulham, we go full, full, full strength." Um, I think against Leon, we can play what I would consider to be one or two of the more continental type players that we've got, or the footballers who four days later in Cardiff or three days later in Cardiff probably aren't going to enjoy it as much as they are at home against Leon. Um, so that's kind of how I see us managing the minutes. Um, Howard, what about you? Obviously, Colin asked the question. Yeah, no, that full. Uh, yeah, you you deal with the next game basically. So apart from Finn, I mean, what is full? What is full strength though? You know, um, you try and pick a team for the Fulham game. Is that Sterling? Do we give Sane his chance now? Uh, He's in training after birth of his child, and you know he's doing social media stuff. I don't know if he's been told he's playing. Uh, I don't know what the stronger side is, but obviously we know that Fernandinho's first choice. I still think it's the physical. You know, if you say Cardiff will be gnarly, then that suggests to me Fernandinho over Gundogan. Uh, you know, and then he misses out tomorrow. But to be honest, only I personally, as a fan, I look at the next game. So I always, when I look at the team sheet, I want it to be full strength and if a lot of our players have not been playing internationals then maybe three in a week is very doable even for Fernandinho mm, I I think he the- will make changes sorry you know, he's not going to play the same team we all know that but I wouldn't assume that Fernandinho has not got it in him because it depends how much he's tested uh, you know if we dominate possession in all three how how much will it take out of him yeah, absolutely. And also, he didn't go away, obviously, on international duty. Yeah. He's been here. He's been able to train. He's been able to get some rest in his legs as well. So, I mean, you know, I began by asking the question of which game does Fernandinho miss? But I kind of agree with the point that you made at the very start, which was there's nothing to suggest that right now he can't play all three games. Um, but it will be... It will be interesting to see. I think the team tomorrow will give us some insight into what the team will be in midweek as well, because I do think that that there will be 
changes between tomorrow and midweek. And Edison's um, had a baby as well, of course, but I would hope that he's back in the side tomorrow. Otherwise, I will get worried. So, Yes, no, no, absolutely. Um, looking at Looking at the game tomorrow, from City's perspective, I mean, I'm going to ask this every week because I, I think that it's worth asking every week. Must win, yeah? A point is no good to us tomorrow. We have to get the three points. Howard, would you agree? No. <laughs> I don't agree with must wins in September, sorry. Obviously, okay. I'll be absolutely... I'll be very worried looking at the league table and very disappointed and cheese stuff if we don't win. Uh, but you know, I think you're just it's wrong not the end there, of the world. Mate. Nothing's been lost if we don't win. No, but I think you're just wrong there. I think that if you're looking at if you're looking at City picked up 100 points in 32 wins out of 38 last season. Obviously, we're not going to do that again. But it's still a 90 plus point league to to win it, in my opinion. Um, which means that you've got to begin by winning every single one of your home games, um, and particularly against a newly promoted side who. I mean, for all we were still in that first flush of being in the Premier League and you know, full of the legs of running and energy. Totally, totally. But I think for for all of those reasons, it makes it a bit more of a must win. I I feel as though the focus tomorrow has got to be absolutely spot on because I think that they do have players who can hurt us, and I think that if they do land a punch on us for whatever reason, um, I think that it just increases. The pressure on on everybody and and I, I look. I'll be really honest. I think the two points that we did drop, in my opinion, there was an element of complacency there. I think that if we drop points tomorrow, it'll be you know unless something freakish happens. I think the only way we drop points is if you know we don't play to our level, and if we don't play to our level, then yeah, I mean that that simply will not be good enough. Colin, well, Fulham have be, done, yeah, I, well, Fulham have done some freakish things to us in the past, if you think back. Indeedy, indeed. So, 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 yeah, but I think what, what you or I or Howard thinks is irrelevant. Every, I think every game is a must-win for Pep. Yeah. I yeah. don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, all right, this game's like the, the Shakhtar game in the group stage last season that we lost, which wasn't a must-win. Um, but I think in Pep's mind, every game is a must-win. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, okay. Team selection time. Colin, I'm going to make you go first this time because I always make Howard go first. And, and yeah, I was okay. going to well, it again, yeah. I'm going with Ederson, Walker, Mendy, and in the back two, I would say uh, maybe, I don't know, St- Stones and one of Otamendi or company, as we discussed before, you know, a big bustling centre half, if, if we can call them that. Uh, in midfield, I think Fernandinho will start, um, and it will be um, the two silvers possibly. I think we'll see Sane. I think we'll see Gabriel Jesus with Aguero maybe kept for Wednesday and um, Mares. Interesting, interesting. So you don't think Sterling plays? I think again he might be kept back for Wednesday. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Howard, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I've not heard the press conference. I mean, assume Sterling's fit and that it was just a ruse to get him out of England duty, but I don't know. I mean, we can't, you know, we did have a back problem, so, but I've not heard an update on that. I'm just assuming it is fit to play. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Colin's put loads of doubt into my mind now completely. <laughs> uh, Edison, 
Walker Mendy and Fernandinho, I think he will play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not what I'm picking. I think he'll, Fernandinho will start. Still think he'll go back to Stones and Laporte, but I do see your company points. So it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if he came in. Aguero to play up front by himself. <sighs> David Silva. I think I've just got a hint that Sane starts. And then, yeah, two Silvers and Sterling. Okay. Um, Sterling and Sane again, wide with Aguero in the middle. But now I'm already having doubts of whether he played the two Silvers so close together. So, but anyway, mm-hmm. I'll stick with that. Okay. I'm, mine is very, very, very close to yours, Howard. I think the fullbacks will be Walker Mendy. I think we're all agreed on that. Um, I think it'll be Vinny and Laporte. I think it'll be Fernandinho, Gunduan, and David Silva in the middle. I think it'll be Raheem and Leroy in the wide areas. And I think it will be Aguero up top on his own. Um, yeah. And I think Bernardo Mares and Jesus guaranteed come in uh, and start the, uh, the midweek Champions League game. Okay. Prediction time. Howard. Just give me a score prediction. Uh, I think both teams score here, so 3-1 to City. Nice. Colin, for you? I was just going to go 3-1, but I'll be insanely optimistic and say 4-1. Okay. I'm not giving a prediction this week because I've been warned by Twitter followers about me making predictions and them coming back if to you, haunt If you me. would have given a prediction, what would it have been? Um, <laughs> not... Well, not- <laughs> not a prediction with City winning by more than one goal. So I'm I'm not saying that I'm worried about the game tomorrow, but I think Fulham can give us a game and certainly can score a goal. I'm a little bit worried about the gaps that um that Mendy can leave, that Walker can leave sometimes. Um I think Schurler, Sessignon, um I think they can cause problems. I've already said what I think Mitrovic can do. I think he's very much the type of player who, you know, we, our centre-half sometimes really don't like players like Mitrovic and I think he can cause problems. Um, I don't know, like, it's just, it's a really, it's a it's a funny game. I think also because we're coming off the back of an international break, I don't have the normal kind of gusto that, that I have going into the weekend where I feel like we're going to slap these. I feel a little bit different. I feel a bit more circumspect. So, yeah, maybe maybe 2-1. 2-1 to City, if I had to make a prediction. But obviously, I'm not making a prediction. No, no, no. no, no, no <laughs> so no, no. it doesn't matter. Right. Okay. Um, wrapping this up. Colin, thank you very much for coming on and, and talking accounts with us. We really appreciate oh, sure. it. Howard, as always, thank you very much, sir. I'll see you tomorrow for a pint. Yeah, <laughs> pleasure. Look forward to it. Everybody who listened, thank you very much. This was the Friday show on the 9320 podcast. Obviously, we have the 9320 player. We do lots of other types of podcasts, including history podcasts and review podcasts and interviews and all sorts. The next one will be the review of our game against Fulham, which will come on Monday. Uh, if you're interested in that, go over to 9320.com. Check it out. In the meantime, be very safe and up the blues. <laughs>